As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, March 8th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we review our AL and NL only labor squads. We'll talk about auction strategy, pass along some tips, some strategy ideas, uh, and talk about individual players, of course. And we'll put the results for both of those auctions into our show description. So if you're either listening to us on Apple Podcasts or you're watching us uh, on YouTube, you can just click on the links and actually see the boards as we go through them. And then we're going to talk about breakouts and sleepers. A lot of hitters, since we've done this on the starting pitching episodes a few weeks back, going team by team through the two Western division groups and looking at players that we think are undervalued and possibly going to take that big step forward here in 2021. You know, how's it going for you on this Monday? I'm exhausted, man. <laughs> that that draft is like just six hours of like my face gets red. Like I think my brain is working so hard. Like I get tired. I just get I'm, by the end of it. I'm wired tired. Uh, it's just and I was wondering how if it'd be more or less stressful, um, you know, online. And I think it was more because there were just a couple snafus. Uh, with the with the technology that weren't necessarily the fault of the technology you know <laughs> but uh, uh, there were there were uh, there was kerfuffle and, um, and and that led to it I, there was this weird thing where like you know one one auctioner was like you know oh I didn't hit the button on that I don't I didn't want Jared Walsh and while they're arguing about that for some reason the draft kept going oops and and at the end of the arguing, where they just decided that he had to keep the player, I look on my team and I've got Matt Barnes and Alex Kirilov, and I'm like, I don't remember buying those guys. <laughs> like, what are those guys doing on my team? What is going on? <laughs> um, so uh, that was weird. And then I wasn't I wasn't going to say anything because like my complaint was even more tenuous than I accidentally hit the button. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It was like I was just watching you guys argue for too long. <laughs> I, I can't complain. I mean, Barnes for Matt Barnes for six bucks. Maybe he's the closer, and 
Um, and Alex Kirloff for nine bucks. I think he's the opening day left fielder. So, you know, it's not too terrible, but. Yeah, I think it'll be all right in both of those cases. Yeah, I don't know if you just got wrapped up in the argument and were subconsciously bidding, but uh, I think I prefer the in-person auction to the online auction room. There are some pros and cons to you know being online, being at home. Well, I, I missed out on miss on seeing people. I at least had the comforts of you know food. 10 feet away and unlimited beverages 10 feet away. Like the, those little creature comforts, two screens instead of just a laptop, like those types of things made it a little easier. The two screens is good. Cause I had the draft board up. Um, yeah, I could do more with the two screens. That part I did like, yeah, it's a good point. So maybe the, the real hack when we get to do it in person again is to have a tablet sitting next to your laptop. So you could have the tablet going as your second screen and the mm-hmm. laptop going as the primary screen, and you get the best of both worlds. So uh, I'm glad we did this. Glad that uh, Steve Gardner did all the heavy lifting again to keep the leagues rolling. And uh, let's talk about the teams that we built. You mentioned a couple of guys that you bought. I just want to pull back for a second and ask you what your strategy was going in. We didn't talk a lot about our strategies prior to the auctions, but we can outline what we tried to do and... <laughs> talk about different ways it went right and went wrong over the course of the weekend. What was your plan going in, given the shape of this year's AL pool? I wanted to be flexible, so I I, I, I wanted to see what happened at the beginning. So I, I didn't have like a set plan, like a, we've talked about here. We you know sort of a couple decision trees. So like I wanted to see how much Shane Bieber would go for and Garrett Cole. Um, and if they went for more than $40, I was going to be more likely to spread the risk and have, um, a collection of sort of 15 to $20 players, pitchers, um, instead of one, all the risk in one player. Um, and what was weird was that, uh, Garrett Cole went for 40 and Shane Bieber went for 41. I was watching Garrett Cole and I said, oh, if Garrett Cole goes for 40, then Bieber should go for 39 or 38. And then I'm in. You know, then I like it, you know, and so I was in on Bieber until like 39 or something. And then Bieber went for 41 and I was confused, uh, but also didn't end up with Bieber. So that's why I ended up with uh, a, a staff led by Lizardo, Urquidy and Bundy um, all around the 16, 17 bucks. Um, so that part, that part, I don't really have too many complaints about. I, I have a a decent staff. I, I'm a little bit worried that I got Dylan C's for four bucks, but you know, that's either going to be amazing or uh, the reason I lose because <laughs> it's going to be really hard to drop. Right. But if he has a, a five ERA and a, and a bad strikeout minus walk rate again, early in the season, I am going to drop him. I can't, I can't uh, massage that one all the way through, but $2 Luis Severino for stashing. You know, uh, it was fun. $1 Luis Garcia, who uh, now that Forrest Whitley, there's news, uh, For- Forrest Whitley is um, probably getting Tommy John, uh, means Luis Garcia is cemented as the number six there in in uh, in Houston. He's just an injury away from starting again. So I like my staff. The staff I'm okay with. Yeah, I think the pitching staff looks like a pretty typical, you know, pitching staff. And I think with... That Bieber Cole situation with Bieber going for a dollar more, the dynamics in play there are just that there are really two AL starters in that tier. There's not uh, a, a clear bridge to the next group. So the fact that Cole went first maybe 
created some desperation for the handful of people who really wanted Bieber and caused his price to go just ahead of Cole's. I mean, in a vacuum, I think most people prefer Cole to Bieber, but it's not by a huge margin. But sometimes that's what happens if you get the last player from a group, that player ends up going for a bit more than some of the players that earlier uh, went off the board. Uh, your offense is pretty interesting because you didn't you didn't have a player, it seemed like, for the first 30 minutes or so. And you still ended up with two high-priced bats in Luis Robert and Randy Arozarena. You got Robert at 32, Randy Arosa at 29. As far as your foundational bats go, I would say that you've got a pretty wide range of outcomes, especially with Robert. I think Arozarena, even though we haven't seen him in the big leagues that long, I feel like his floor is safer because there's less swing and miss in his game. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know with the bats, was this sort of like a, a ripcord combination? Like, hey, I got to I gotta pull the string and get somebody early because you're starting to run out of like legitimately top-end hitters to get? Or was this also part of the, the plan to have guys that could do a little bit of everything as your first two hitters? Yeah, so... You know, the process for me in terms of hitting is um, there's always a premium on the top of your auction sheet. You know, there's always a premium for the top bats. So your auction sheet will probably spit out maybe one bat that's $40. And you'll have two bats that go for 40 plus. And um, your auction seat will say that um, there's only like two $38, $39 guys and they'll go for, they'll go for 40. So basically there's usually sort of a plus two or plus three or plus four premium. If you're in a shallower league, like a 12 team mixed league or something, that premium is huge because there'll be people are doing stars and scrubs. And so there'll be somebody that pushes trout to like 70 or, or, or bets to like 60 or 70, you know, because they, they think that the replacement level is so high that they just want to get the stars. In a, in a league like this, the premium is not that big, and it threw me off because I was seeing a premium of 0 to $2 on the top players. Like, they were going for what was in my auction sheet. And so, I, so I, apparently, I was second place in the most bids in this, in this auction. They were counting on the radio, and they said I came in second place on bids like 25 times. So what had happened was I, I thought, I was like, okay, so the premium is really low. So I want to get somebody at plus one or plus two, right? That's the premium at the, uh, on the top end is, is plus one or plus two dollars. And so I kept getting to plus one or plus two on my values. And then someone would go plus two and I didn't want to go plus three. Or, you know, like, or someone would uh, go to plus one. I'm like, well, maybe I can get a plus zero. So I, I, I did kind of screw up that part. But in the end, I got Robert and I don't know how to say his name anymore. I give up. But they're saying it on the radio like Robert. So I guess it's Robert. Um, and uh, 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 so I, I got Robert and Rosarena at plus one uh, on my thing. So I did okay. But... In retrospect, if plus one was the premium, then I should have gone to 41 or 40 on um, Jose Ramirez because then I would have gotten a better player at plus one. Yeah, I think that's really important. In most auctions that we're in now, no matter what your values put in front of you, 
the top end guys are going for a little more than that. I think it was three to five dollars for a good portion of the players that were being put out there for about the first hour last night. Mm-hmm. AL was on Sunday night. I thought the numbers were all coming in pretty high, and it does put you in this difficult position. Initially, for the first couple times around the table, you might say three to five is a lot. Maybe it cools off, and sometimes it does, and you get a player for plus one or plus two, get a couple guys for plus one or plus two, and sometimes it doesn't. And then you end up with a ton of endgame bargains, but then you got to build a ton from the middle. And and some players like to build balanced AL only and NL only teams. You can win that way. Larry Schechter wins a lot. Larry Schechter tends to build more balanced teams. Eric Caravel on the NL side tends to build more balanced teams. I would say Todd Zola tends to play that way too, if you're looking at some results where, you know, those guys are not going to have a lot of one and two and three dollar hitters, especially. Um, I think that's that's where you kind of see different approaches. But I think both auctions this weekend, people were pretty pretty aggressive because I was watching the AL and, and doing the live stream for First Pitch Florida online uh, with Mike Gianella. And I thought this room was about as aggressive as it's ever been. I've, you know, I've watched the AL auctions for the last almost 10 years now between last night and then doing radio stuff. And uh, it seemed like when I started doing this, people were more conservative with their spending. I think there's a, a kind of a groupthink sort of agreement that it is worth overpaying a little bit relative to projection for top end players and you know, securing that production, especially in, in even in leagues this deep. I think especially in mixed league auctions, as you said, I see that in 15 team mixed tout. I think you play in a more shallow auction than that. People are even more aggressive because the replacement levels in those leagues is so high. Uh, but I do like what you did with this offense. It's it's a little bit feast or famine. I would say you you have some some obvious risk with the two hitters that you paid up for, but I thought you did a really good job in the mid-tier getting guys who really don't have questions about playing time. Like your infield in particular, you got one ceiling guy in Andrew Vaughn at 8. That was a really nice price on him. Nick Solak at 14. I, I think he's nearly an everyday player, if not an everyday player. Most of that time coming at second base, 14 bucks on him seemed really good. Anderson Simmons at seven, I think was pretty late in the auction when a lot of people didn't have money left. He probably should have gone for 12 or 14 with the amount of playing time that he's going to get in Minnesota. So that was a nice value. And then I think my favorite buy that you had among all your hitters is Gio Urshela at 16. He's healthy this spring. We saw plate skills growth last year. And in that park, in that lineup, I think there's a shot. He's a $25 player at season's end in a monoleague like this. Well, I was hoping... um, I I do think replacement level is terrible in these leagues. I mean, just look at your wire (laughs) the day after the draft, right? Mm -hmm. We do six... We we play uh, 60 outfielders. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in 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 the AL in an AL AL only, there's only 45 starting outfielders. So, you know, uh, the waiver wire is pretty bad, um, and so I did try to avoid the one dollar player. Only ended up with Adam Engel um, as a true one dollar player. That one was a little bit of a, a hedge on Vaughn. I was looking at that depth chart in Chicago and uh, checked with sources. And what I've heard is that there's only a minor league deal on the table for anybody that might want to come to Chicago uh, and take that DH job. I don't think Edwin Encarnacion is 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 going to do that. I don't think Ioannis Cespedes really wants to take a minor league deal to, to show up in Chicago. 
Um, but I guess that's a possibility. And so if that happens, Engel will play more because Engel will be needed very often in the outfield. Eloy will play more DH, that sort of deal. If they don't put Vaughn up in the major leagues, I think Engel will play more. So it was a little bit of a hedge there. Um, but um, Urshela was also a little bit of a hedge against the batting average risk that Robert was giving me. Because I think that Urshela, Solak, Mountcastle might have a problem. But I thought Urshela and Solak uh, and Simmons would have good batting averages. And so I didn't just want to punt batting average completely. And um, uh, that's what I was thinking there. And there were a bunch of, you know, that was like like my pitching strategy. A bunch of $15 to $20 players that uh, very solid, projectable, lots of plate appearances. So the only risk I really took in terms of playing time were my catchers. Uh, which, you know, catchers are terrible. And um, my my last two outfielders, DJ Stewart and uh, and Adam Engel. So, I, you know, there's a little bit of being able to move guys around. Mountcastle can play first for me if I can find a corner infielder, if I need to with Vaughn. Uh, but I, I, I think Vaughn's going to be there from day one. I think this team wants to win. They're telling everybody they're ready to, to go now. And Vaughn is the most obvious person to, to put on that roster. Yeah, I think if for whatever reason, if he doesn't hit enough to keep the job, then maybe in June or July or something, they send him down for a little while and they acquire someone because you can pretty easily acquire an extra bat in season if you need to. But they do seem like they want to really give him that opportunity. I think for going cheap at catcher with Jeffers and Severino, you did pretty well there. Seven bucks combined on those two guys. Jeffers should split time with Garver. Maybe it's 60 40. Percentage-wise, favoring Garver, but for four bucks, Ryan Jeffers could be a really think, efficient per-plate appearance catcher. I think there's an outside shot that both could be the number one catchers by the end of the year. I mean, the you know if Garver doesn't really re, you know get that power back, you know if he doesn't get it all back, then Jeffers is really solid, and uh, Severino might be the number one catcher now. I mean, Chancisco is. Not that good. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. I was trying to think of a nicer way to say it. <laughs> it's just not that good. <laughs> I, I think the way Severino goes a little wrong for you is if Adley Rutschman comes up somewhat early in the season. But even then, are, are, they're not going to play Adley Rutschman four out of five days, you know, four to five games. They're not going to go an 80 20 split from day one. They'd probably ease him even, in a little bit. I don't bit. think he's coming up this year. Totally possible that he stays in the minors all season long. Uh, I think the the way you built your team is kind of similar to what I did in the end. And I had a, a few different ways I wanted to go at the beginning of mine. I, I thought through it and said, you know, it's either Degrom or two twenty dollar pitchers. That was the pitching foundation. I wanted to prioritize one really good reliever. Uh, you did it with a Roldis Chapman at nineteen. I did it with Josh Hader. At twenty dollars, I actually thought Hater was going to go for a little more. I probably would have gone to at least twenty-two on Hater before bowing out. I think that's a good move. Get one guy and, and be aggressive and get him early. Like I think there were like Hendrick. Other pitchers went for more than Chapman, and I'm like, dude, I think Chapman is the best reliever in the AL. What? Why am I getting a like a break on this? Why? Why am I getting for nineteen? when there's other relievers going for 20. So I was very happy with that. And then I, you know, once you start getting down to $17, you're paying $17 for a guy who might be okay. You know, like I'd rather pay 19 for Chapman than 17 for Rice Iglesias. You know what I mean? So I think, I think I like that part is identify in an only league, identify an elite reliever and go get them early. 
because the prices will get worse later when they're like, oh, God, I don't have a closer. Yeah, and I think the way I was trying to plan was if somebody was going to go 23 or 24 on Hater and I had to bow out, I was probably going to go with three relievers in the bullpen that I think are up for grabs. Uh, San Diego is one. I think St. Louis still qualifies, even though it's looking more and more like it's going to be Jordan Hicks there. But try you try you mean like try to buy a bullpen? Like try to actually get like two guys in one. Pair up one of them and then target and the other two for at least one speculative yeah. shot. Yep. And and that was gonna be my combination, either three or four but relievers stretched out. You'd spend a lot of money doing that too, right? Like you'd be spending six, seven like my Matt Barnes pick. Like you'd be paying spending six, seven dollars on these other guys. So you'd you'd have like four guys at six, seven bucks, right? <laughs> like if you're mm-hmm. really trying to do that way. And then you might not get any value compared to the one guy at nineteen twenty. So that's why I like the better, like, get your guy and then, you know, get another reliever at, like, three to five bucks. I, I didn't really want Barnes at six. I, like I said, I blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought DeGrom was kind of a pivot player in the NL pool. He went for 40 to Mike Gianella. That was the max bid I would have had for him. But going in, I said, if I don't get DeGrom, I'm getting two from the next group. I thought maybe the next group would cost as much as 30 I thought Woodruff and Flaherty could approach $30 because of how we've seen people in, uh, in snake drafts attacking pitching. It didn't seem like there was quite as much carry on that range of pitchers. The next tier below that went even cheaper than expected. So I was pretty aggressive getting Woodruff at 24 and then Flaherty at 25 after I had Hater. Felt like I the pitching it. came together like really well. Uh, I was a little frustrated, though, because within probably 30 minutes of me getting those three pitchers, Strasburg at 16 to Steve Gardner. I know there's injury risk because there's always injury risk, but everything is going really well for him uh, with that surgery for the neuritis. The problems he was having with his hand are gone. We talked to Maria Torres on Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, and he's had a normal offseason. He started throwing earlier than he normally does, so... All signs point to Strasburg being like a $20 guy easily in this format again with a path to maybe be a 30. Sixto Sanchez went for 11 bucks. Julio Urias went for 12. Ooh. I mean, you, you you don't know at the time, right? When you when you build early, you don't know what those guys are going to go for. I assumed 16, 17, 18 consistently for guys like that because of, of ceiling and what they've already accomplished. Um, so, you know, if I had known it was going to play out like that, I probably would have said I'm good with Woodruff and Hader. I'm going to pass on Flaherty. I'll let someone else have him in the low 20s, 24. You can go to whoever had that bid. And I'm going to go ahead and get two from the Sixto Urias range. Even Zach Wheeler only went for 14. So I just felt like pitching didn't get priced up as much as I expected. That threw me off a little bit. But I was able to at least get the core in place that I wanted. And frankly, I think it's easy in the NL to find pitchers you like. Year over year, I, I never have a problem finding single-digit pitchers. I put Tyler Molly in there at 9, Drew Pomeranz at 8, Mackenzie Gore really late at 4, which in this league, as people might know, a player has to be sent to the minors or placed on the IL if you're going to take them out of the active lineup. Otherwise, you have to drop them. And, of course, if Gore goes down, he goes to my reserves. I can use all my bench pitchers in that spot and kind of rotate and play matchups. Uh, and if Gore's up, then I'm really happy because for four bucks, I think he's you know likely to exceed expectations at the price. And then a few other cheapies, TJ Anton, uh, I, I had to get him just so we could talk about him and, and say his name on the show. <laughs> TJ, I love you, TJ. <laughs> I just saw the uh, our Reds beat writer, not Reds beat writer, no, uh, uh, a Reds writer, uh, Doug Dirt, 
Is that his like handle? It's that's his handle. His I, don't, I don't think his real name is Doug Dirt. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Doug. Or if you are a Doug, I don't know. Uh, I live online. Um, but he was saying that he thinks that uh, Anton could be um, their hater. So, I mean, he may not start because they are still stretching Lorenzen. They've given Lorenzen the chance. They told Lorenzen they're giving him the chance. And so there may not be that spot in the rotation for him. But Wade Miley is, as they say, not good. And <laughs> and B, if he's the hater, like it's innings, man, and they might be amazing innings. Like he 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 looks really good. He's sitting ninety seven, um, and uh, sitting ninety six, ninety seven, and struck out like three in an inning today. So, like if you just got one of those guys who had like a one two ERA and you know fifteen Ks per nine for sixty innings, I mean, sure, that's gonna have some value. Yeah, I'm thrilled with that as a staff filler. If he gets a chance to start, then even better. But if he's a multi-inning reliever all season, three bucks is totally fine. I think he actually compares pretty favorably to a guy I really like, Freddie Peralta. Peralta mm-hmm. went for seven, right? Both of those guys could end up in their rotation, and they could be good with that opportunity. But if they're multi-inning relievers, even if they're not getting saves, the ratios and the Ks over a decent number of innings really plays up in this format. Uh, Alec Mills at two. I know you like Mills. He's been Woo-hoo! on my mind a lot because of uh, the presentation from Saturday and the different ways he's really kind of standing out to you. And then Emilio Pagan at one, who I think is kind of similar to what I just described with TJ Anton, where it's like he's just filling innings. And maybe he's a closer, but I, well, I think it's Pomeranz. I, I mean, I really do think it's it's Pomeranz over Melanson. But every time the, the, the beat writers write up the back of the bullpen, they say Pagan and Pomeranz. So... You know, not saying the beat writers know know everything, but they also are hanging out by the team, you know, so they know uh, a fair amount about what the sort of uh, what the smoke is saying. So, uh, but uh, I love that staff, Alec Mills. Yeah, Alec, we did a presentation for First Pitch Florida over the weekend. Um, if you missed it, you you can go check it out. If you're a loyal listener. You probably heard a lot of these uh, these things over the over the the episodes that we've done because uh, we just went into like seam shifted wake and spin mirroring and the different concepts that we talk about on the show and gave some examples and it's just weird. Alec Mills showed up on all of it. I think I've even talked about it here where he's you know he's got a seam shifted wake uh, change up and sinker and he's got a spin mirroring on his uh, fastball and his breaking balls and he's got good command and. Um, Good matchups, and at least to start the year. And if you find uh, if you find that he's you know goes out like a rabbit, and you need hitting, you know he might be a good guy to uh, trade before the uh, weather changes at Wrigley. Yeah, and he might be a perfect trade ship because I, I think I will probably need to move a pitcher for a bat at some point, unless I get incredibly lucky with some of the young players I went after uh, at the top. Harper at thirty three, Cody Bellinger at thirty. I tried, I think, on just about every one of the elite, elite bats. I was in on Tatis. I was in on Acuna. I love that, though. It's, it reminds me of the Arizona Robert idea, where it's just like, okay, I'll get two front-end second-rounders, basically, you know? Yeah. I mean, I in 15-team mixers, I see Harper and Bellinger as viable options at that one-two turn. So I have no, no problem with what I did. I yeah. just... I kind of expected to get one of Trey Turner, maybe at like 37. He went for 40 to Derek Cardi. He was the first player thrown. Uh, if you play against Derek Cardi, if he throws a player, he probably wants to buy that player. So friendly, friendly tip about our, our friend. He's uh, <laughs> he does he's pretty good at nominating too, players he? he likes. Has he done some like $40 Kershaw jump bids and stuff? 
Yeah, yeah, he does that he's a little bit too. Like uh, but Acuna went for 41, Betts went for 40. I mean, I think those were fair prices. I just I didn't get to those numbers first, so I missed out. I was 37, 38, 39 on a lot of those guys, and I missed out. Soto got the 41. I thought maybe I'd get him at 36. Uh, even Christian Yelich, who I, I put in the same cluster as Bellinger and Harper, 35 to Steve Gardner. That was a, a bidding war that I was involved in. So I tried to mm, stack Brewers. I, I tried hard not to put that 36 down. It was it was it was difficult, but you know I, th- I think I made the right choice bailing when I did. Did that make you nervous about steals? A little. I mean, what I'm most nervous about with my roster, kind of looking at, I went cheap at catcher like you did. Jan Gomes plays a lot, seven bucks, whatever. It's fine. Uh, Kiebert Ruiz could be a black hole for playing time because they seem to like Austin Barnes, even though Austin Barnes isn't good. So I just I want them to call up Kiebert Ruiz, make him the backup to Will Smith. I may have to play the dreaded second catcher off the waiver wire game, which that's one of the few things you can actually find on the waiver wire in a league this second deep catchers, is a, yeah. a random catcher that actually gets some playing time. Uh, as Druba Cabrera at seven, Brendan Rogers at 13 was auction dynamics late. I had to hammer one other team wanted him at that point. I just said, he's the best hitter left. Whether I get him for six or seven or 13 actually won't matter at this point. So I just mm-hmm. pushed all my chips in for the max bid on Brendan Rogers. Kevin Newman at 6, Austin Riley at 12, Gavin Lux at 13, Wilmer Flores at 8. The outfield with Harper and Bellinger, obviously very solid. Nick Senzel at 15 is a player that I really like. Mm, and then nice. Avisail Garcia at 5, Adam Hazley at 2. I think Garcia, even if he's like a traditional fourth outfielder for 5 bucks, is totally fine. My concern, though, is that between Rodgers, Riley, and Lux, what are the odds that all three of those guys have starting jobs they hold on to all season, right? It seems like Mm -hmm. one of them them is going to play a lot less than I'd want to, but maybe the other two play every day and it works and i got to fill one spot. I think where I get in trouble is if two out of those three guys somehow don't play as much as I need them to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A note about Hazley, like I just know that internally uh, they love Hazley. Um, you know, Odebel Herrera is problematic um, for a couple of reasons. He's not on the 40 man and uh, he just spent the whole year uh, being suspended for domestic violence for for, for an incident there. So um, just not not something that I think they want to do. Uh, but um, there is a groin strain. Who's groin strain? Who's groin is strained? Hazley, right? Is it Hazley? Yeah, I think it's Hazley. Yeah, yeah Hazley. And so, you know, maybe he opens on the DL and you have to go find a waiver wire bat. But I kind of think, as much as I like Kingery, that Hazley is going to factor in there. I think he's going to play. Um, they just, they're just real, as an organization, they're really proud of him. He's made real advancements in his ability to hit. Um, and uh, worst case scenario, you got yourself a, a good fourth outfielder there. Um, so I think that was, that was a good pick. Yeah, I mean, it ended up being a little more feast or famine playing time-wise than I'd like it to be. I think Ryan McMahon at 12, he's my UT right now, he ends up being fine. They're just going to see what he can do this year. If it doesn't work for him this year, then they're going to ditch him. And he plays, he has a couple of positions, right? So if you get somebody sent down, you can get you can cover one of those guys being sent down with McMahon, right? Yeah, that's what I tried to do. So once I realized that I was going to be chasing playing time and taking on some risk with my 10 to $15 players, I started to prioritize guys that were eligible at two or three positions. McMahon can play first, second, or third. Wilmer Flores is first and second. Uh, Austin Riley, I think, is going to play a little bit in the outfield at some point, maybe. So I could get 
you know, third and outfield from him. Newman, I think, up the middle is second and short, as Drupal Cabrera is first and third. So if I do have one of those guys go down, I've got a few ways to just move things around and at least just pick up any hitter who's playing as the replacement as opposed to being locked into one specific position. So, uh, I mean, that, that flexibility is always helpful, but I think it's particularly helpful if you've got a lot of playing time downside in a league this deep. Yeah, yeah, I was very happy to have Mountcastle later on. I wasn't sure that I wanted to, I mean, I went right to my value sheet on him. But I really like that one BOF, especially um, I had CI first base and outfield positions open. I want I wanted to be able to kind of move them around, and it ended up being really important if uh, if Vaughn gets sent down. So yeah, it, position flexibility. Like uh, somebody asked me why I took Segura a little bit early in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, and um, I've explained here that like one of the things he does that's good is. Uh, that doesn't pop is that he's just good across the line. So he'll, he's the kind of guy who's probably going to do something like 280, 15, 15. None of that like seems like, oh, I, I got myself a bunch of seals or I got myself a bunch of homers or got a great batting average. But all of those things are good and they just keep your team going. And then on top of that, he's 2B, 3B. So he can be, you know, MICI, second base, third base. That's, that's even though it may not be best ball where, you know, he gets put in those positions by the computer. You're still gonna need you need that flexibility later in drafts for picking somebody. Now you can move him to there and and put somebody in instead. You know, so um, yeah, I think that's a, it's a, it's a valuable thing. It's hard to put your finger on how much it's worth too. Yeah, I, I don't know if you can really add more than like a buck or two to a player's value for having those extra spots. I think that could be an overcorrection if you did more than that. But I do think flagging those players and making sure that you've got a little bit of exposure to that group is particularly helpful regardless of how big uh, the league is that you're going to play in. So again, check the results. They're in the show notes. If you want to see the links for the AL labor board, Eno was a part of that one and the NL labor board. That was the one I was in on Saturday night. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you know, let's talk about some possible breakout players. Sleepers, if they still exist, are, are few, fewer and further between because everyone's digging into every corner of the player pool year Words round. to be banned. Sleeper, upside. Sleeper. Yeah, sleeper <laughs> and upside. Uh, words that we want to use but shouldn't use as much as we do uh, at this point. So we're going to do kind of a fly-around approach. We're going to start in the AL West. We'll start with Seattle. We saw Logan Gilbert take the ball on Sunday for a couple of innings against the Angels, and he was impressive. And I know that you know because of the way everything works, we've talked about this many, many times before, Gilbert's going to spend some time at the alternate site or in the minors to begin the season. 
before eventually taking on a spot in this Mariners rotation. Uh, but I thought he passed the eye test. I mean, the stuff all looked good. The command looked good, too. We're talking about a guy who's already reached double A and he's had good results at that level. Uh, so I'm increasingly interested in Gilbert, even in mixed leagues, because I think if you use him as your one minor league or you're stashing away for later, it could be a pretty nice payoff once he gets that call. And maybe we're talking about like a May sort of debut for Gilbert. Yeah, you know, and he represents that uh, kind of Indians attitude where you get a guy with good command and you and you uh, coach up the gas, you know, send him to gas camp. He added a, a few ticks and uh, I think he can sit at least at league average, which is uh, 93 plus now. Um, and then that hammer looked good. So if you got a guy with a good c- control, um, you know, good command and 93 mile an hour velocity and a really good breaking ball. The floor is pretty high, man. You know, like, you know, I think that the rest needs to be figured out. Like, will he have a hard breaking ball, like a nice cutter? Will will the change up be any good? That Those are question marks. But the rest uh, seem pretty, pretty fairly well answered. And so I think he's going to hit the ground running. There's not really that much opposition in the rotation. You know, like it, it could easily go south for, uh, even if they're going to the six man, they could easily go south for Chris Flexen or, uh, Justice Sheffield or uh, Nick Marjavicious. Is he the sixth guy? <laughs> I was so frustrated by this. I looked at the depth chart over the weekend that we're in a world where the this sport incentivizes choosing Nick Marjavicious over Logan Gilbert. Right. Yeah. It is annoying. Hopefully they'll do something about that in the CBA. My guy um, on, I really wanted him. I'm, I, I, I was glad that we pushed this till Monday because I didn't want to reveal <laughs> any of my labor sleepers. Uh, but I really wanted Ty France. Um, I, you know, I've talked about how um, them playing him at third uh, suggests to me that he's the long-term replacement for Kyle Seeger. Um, that suggests to me that they're going to play him every day. Um, I see good plate discipline. I have a little note here that says PD, not EV. Um, and, you know, his barrel rates aren't amazing. He's not going to be probably a 35 homer guy. Uh, but I see a good OBP, uh, 250 plus average, uh, 20 plus homers. You know, I don't. it may be kind of a stretch in 12 teamers, but anything deeper than 15, I want Ty France. He might come with a host of eligibilities too. Yeah, definitely a guy that is set up well in Seattle, who was pretty blocked before that trade that, that sent him to the Mariners last summer. So I'm there with you on France. I know our editor, Nando DeFino, loves Ty France this year. He's the most Nando player that we're going to talk about probably <laughs> uh, over the course of this episode. Let's move on to Texas, where Josh Jung is definitely going to be in my upcoming Rookies of Interest piece. I think he makes a lot of sense, if only because... It's clear at this point that the Rangers are moving on from the core from a few years ago. We saw the Elvis Andrews trade. Of course, he's now in Oakland. Ruggi Odor, it just seems like they're kind of done with him as a regular. He's more of a stopgap until they think Jung is ready. Uh, things that are, are a little bit complicated now, of course, with the AAA season not starting on time. It's back to the alternate site for guys that don't make opening day rosters. So that could maybe change the plans a little bit in some cases. I don't think in Jung's case, it's going to change his timetable all that much. I think he's still probably more of like a May or June sort of call-up, but they really don't have a lot of alternatives there beyond Odor, and I think we've seen enough of Odor to know that he's probably not changing at this stage of his career. You know, uh, first two seasons, first, okay, the first three seasons for Odor, one win player, two and a half win player, two and a half win player, two wins is usually 
average. Then he had this season in 2017 where he was a win and a half below replacement, even though he hit 30 You got to play a lot. You got to play a lot to do that. Yeah. And that was really hard to read because you're like, man, they played him a lot. He hit 30 homers, stole 15 bases. Like I, he was on some labor teams for me in there. Then he came back and had a 2.4 win season in 2018. You thought, okay, he's back to being who he is. Except that year he had 18 homers. It's just like, who is this guy? <laughs> but in the last two seasons combined, he's been exactly replacement. He's projected to be replacement level, which is not good. So Josh Jung, the comps I'm getting are Ian Kinsler. Um, and uh, if he Ian Kinsler's it up, at the alternate site and in the minor leagues, and Odor is out there uh, putting up replacement-level work, I think uh, the writing will be on the wall pretty quickly. Kinsler's a really interesting comp because I didn't really expect much speed-wise from Josh Jung. But you go back to the early years especially. I mean, Kinsler ran throughout his career. He was a double-digit steals guy every year from 2006 to 2018. Maybe because of the way steals work in baseball in general at this stage, he'd get fewer opportunities, you know, if the efficiency's not there. But even just six or eight bags on top of what Jung could do as a hitter would be really nice. And it's so hard to hard, so hard to set expectations for someone who's played forty four professional games that were at A ball and rookie ball. You know, it's all kind of based on the glowing reports that we've been getting since last summer at the alternate site. That's where he was really taking that step forward. And I think it's clear if you, you read the Rangers beat writers, if you read Levi Weaver, the Rangers believe the future is now for Jung. I mean, he's already 23 years old, right? He's going to turn 23 in February. So they don't really need to wait very long before giving him an opportunity and just letting him take that job for good. We're talking about a guy they took eighth overall in 2019 too. So there's plenty of pedigree there. And uh, Texas is going to allow uh, kids, uh, people in the stands, uh, you know, everywhere is at this point, but they're going to probably be <laughs> out in front of that one and allow more than other places. Um, and uh, it's a new stadium. There's pressure on them to uh, to fill it. And I would say that there's pressure on that GM. Um, uh, not uh, the not uh, Chris Young that they just brought in, but uh, at some point, someone's going to come for John Daniels. You know what I mean? Like the, the results haven't been amazing. And, uh, you know, they need to sort of point to a group of players and be like, here's our new core, you know, we're getting somewhere. So um, that's why I don't necessarily think I took the Rangers as an over. Cause I don't necessarily think they're going to blow it up. I, everyone's saying they're going to trade Gallo, but I just feel like that's, uh, that would be like, Oh, we're starting a rebuild, you know? Uh, and that would be weird because they didn't do anything since the last time they started a rebuild. <laughs> um, I have uh, Nick Solak uh, as my uh, quote-unquote sleeper. I don't know if that uh, is good enough, though, because he's pretty well combed over at this point. One thing I wanted to point out about Solak, though, is that he steals bases. Um, I think that uh, you know there's enough batted ball juice there that he can hit 15 to 20 homers and steal 10 to 15 bases. So um, I kind of bought him uh, as much for the playing time as for the the stolen bases and labor. But I guess my real uh, name might be Jonathan Hernandez. Just looking through their options to close. um, Matt Bush is uh, a possibility. And uh, before you uh, sort of roll your eyes at his questionable morals in the past, uh, I will say that I had a lengthy conversation with Levi Weaver about Matt Bush 
Um, and I came away impressed with uh, the work that Matt Bush has done on himself and his life. Um, and when you have that bad of a relationship with alcohol, um, I think all the other things that happened could flow from that. Um, so I'm willing to, um, you know, not pass judgment right away. And, and, you know, if he throws real hard, Matt Bush is going to be in the conversation. Leclerc is going to be in the conversation, but he's having visa problems, I think. And he also has bad command. Jonathan Hernandez is the best pitcher of the three. And, uh, he's got a three pitch mix, former starter up to 97, um, I think that we could see the, his best strikeout rate of his career now that he's more of a full-time reliever. So, Jonathan Hernandez for closer. I like Hernandez as a, a late dart after round 20, maybe even in the, after the round 25 mark in a 15-team mixed league because I think he could still be useful in the short term even if Bush or LeClerc or someone else is getting saves. I think you could see Hernandez picking up uh, multiple innings and turning in some pretty good ratios with those opportunities as well. No shortage of interesting players, though, in Texas. I mean, they acquired David Dahl, and they added Nate Lowe. So there's a few guys there that we've liked for a long time who now have better paths to playing time with the Rangers. Uh, let's talk about the Angels, where I think you've got a, a star-driven roster, of course, with plenty of, of fun guys up top with you know, Trout and Rendon and Shohei Otani. Uh, but looking for sources of value in deeper leagues especially, I think... Luis Renjifo in AL-only formats and draft and hold formats, he's one of those guys. I just want to see him play because I, I think he can be surprisingly productive with the bat. I think I'm basing a lot of that on what we saw back in 2018. We saw some really nice slash lines with uh, a good amount of speed. I think he had 35 steals across two levels at high A and double A in 45 attempts. He's shown a little bit of power, a few random stops as well. So I think it's non-zero power, but it's definitely speed that you're going to get. And maybe a better batting average than what we've seen so far, right? He's been up and down a few times. It's got 141 big league games where he's been a part-time player, only hitting 221, 310, 331. So nobody really wants him. But I think he can play all over. The glove's good enough for him to be a legitimate utility option. You know, If someone were to get hurt there, if Jose Iglesias were to go down... Luis Renjifo would pop up and, and help backfill if anyone in the infield were to miss time. Yeah, and there's a possibility that um, this roster creates an open space on the infield. David Fletcher has played all over, and their combined right field roster projects to be about replacement level with Dexter Fowler, Joe Adele, and Juan Lagares as a group. Um, I'm not saying that is right. Uh, you know, Adele could run and take that. We've talked about his max exit velo, uh, being uh, top 10, I think, or top 15. Um, and so if he makes any real tweaks with his plate approach, he's going to take that and run with it. Uh, but there is also a, a, a universe in which Fletcher uh, starts playing right field fairly regularly because they're just not getting any production from that group. Um, in which case they would need someone to play uh, second base. So, you know, it's not impossible, and he's super, super cheap. Uh, my choice for this group um, was Max Stasi. You know, he just has real good barrel rates and uh, projects really well. I know he's hurt, uh, but in leagues with unlimited DLs, uh, he's a fun DL stash. I texted uh, partner in crime Ian Khan uh, during the draft that I was mad that he got Max Stasi. 
Um, he, he had actually been a target of mine for labor last night. But uh, for you people not in two-catcher leagues and, and in more shallow leagues, Justin Upton is so, so dirt cheap. Do you have an, an, do you have an ADP on him? Mm, I think he's going outside the top 250 overall, if not lower. I'll get a recent one, though, because I, I wonder if he's crept up a little bit just since the calendar flipped to March. I mean, he's streaky. He's 33, so you, you can't bank on the projected bounce back completely. But the projected bounce back is pretty decent, you know, to a 230 batting average and, you know, nearly 30 homers with some steals even. Um, so, you know, the batting average may not be useful, but that kind of a player on in a bench pick, I don't know. Good counting stats probably coming uh, with that playing time. 343 overall is where he's going. It's really low. Yeah, since March 1st. Nobody nobody wants him because of the injuries and the recency bias of the the, the poor seasons. But it has been two poor seasons along with the injuries. Um, I can forgive you for for not taking part. But, um, you know, what if he hit 250 or 260 again and had like – you know, a lot of times guys have like that that one last bright shining season before they fade into the night. And I think with Upton, he's been around forever because he debuted so young. He's thirty three, so he's he's old, but he's not you know that thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight yeah. range. So it, there could easily be one more productive season in that bat. Maybe even maybe twenty eighteen. That two fifty seven. Yeah. 30 homer, 80, 80 sort of production. But the lineup's better now than it was then. So maybe the counting stats could actually tick up a little bit from Upton. So I'm on board with that. I think he makes sense as a, a late filler in the outfield, maybe as a fifth outfielder and a 15-team mixer that people just aren't excited about at all. Uh, are you in on Jared Walsh, by the way? I think for people in more shallow leagues, he's kind of part of this conversation as well. I know there was a really good piece at Fangraphs a while back about the adjustments Walsh made to his swing. They're going to play Albert Pujols some, but they're not going to play Albert Pujols every single day. So do you think there's enough playing time for Jared Walsh to be mixed league viable from the jump? Yeah, I mean, I'm not buying a 14% strikeout rate after he had 30% strikeout rates in the minors and a 40% strikeout rate in his first year. But the barrel rate was the same in his rookie season as it was in his sophomore campaign. So I'm buying the quality of contact. So... You know, maybe the projections at 28%, maybe what if he's 25%? If he's 25%, he can hit 260 with 30 homer power. The, 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 the one problem is Albert Pujols still on the roster, man, and Shohei Otani is on the roster. So where does he play? Yeah, I think it's going to be a problem in weekly leagues. Weekly lineup leagues might have a problem with Jared Walsh. That's been my problem at the price. I mean, if you're talking about someone who's – just outside the top 200, ADP since March 1st is 213 overall. It's just not quite enough playing time. I think you can get away with a true big side platoon guy, but you can't have a big side platoon player that also loses a handful of starts on the big side of that platoon, which I think exactly describes the situation if everybody's healthy. Oh, here's it. Eat this, not that. We needed a song for that. <laughs> we, we really need our own that. phrase. We need our own <laughs> phrase for that. That was a book series, and we'll probably get sued if we make that our our jingle. Oh, there was a, that's a book. That's a book. It came out maybe it's ten like or a fifteen Mark years Bittman ago book or something. 
I don't know who wrote it, but it was like, if you're going to Chili's, eat this somewhat not terrible thing for you instead of this really bad thing. <laughs> okay. Don't, well, don't eat the blooming onion at Outback. Eat the fried green beans instead. Give me, give me Rowdy Tellez's ADP. Since March 1st, 282. 70 picks later, same situation. Rowdy Tellez improved his strikeout rate, has barreled through you know all of his career, has some playing time issues, and I would personally say like fewer playing time issues. You know, like he's going to be in a regular rotation, but it's, I would say it's very similar and I would take the 70 picks and take Rowdy later. So I think that's a fair draft. This, not that Mm -hmm. draft him, not him. We need names (laughs) for this. Let let us know. uh, Trying to get out of, out of legal jeopardy here. (laughs) At, Edo Saris at Derek Van Riper rates and barrels at the athletic.com. If you'd like to help us name that segment, we're always looking to, uh, to crowdsource ideas like that. Uh, let's go over to Oakland. I actually found this to be a little challenging. I was trying to find an undervalued A's player that I liked, and I should have put a question mark on the rundown. I think that one of the Rule 5 picks, uh, Blaze Tom, Kai, I think is the proper name, but some places he might be listed as Blaze. I think maybe as their fourth outfielder and, and a guy that has put up some pretty good numbers in the upper levels of the minor leagues. We talked about him back when uh, Melissa Locker joined us right before uh, the end of the year as a guest on one of our episodes. And I think looking more closely at Tom, who was in the Cleveland system and, and showed power, a little bit of speed and really took a step forward. I, I think with just the overall production at 285, 386, 512 at double a, and then a 298, 375, 564 at triple a uh, old for the level when he did it, but those are really good numbers. It was with 23 homers between those two stops kind of does a little bit of everything. And if he finds playing time, I think we're going to be talking about him as at least a dip, uh, deep mixed league relevant player before season's end. The bench, uh, what I did as preparation for the draft, um, one, of the, one of the rounds of preparation was to build everybody's bench, you know, uh, build, build every team's bench. And so I messaged beat writers and um you know messaged you and and poked the you know projections and looked at the the depth charts and and built every team's bench we've done that on the show too and when you build a bench you always have to have a backup shortstop a backup center fielder and a backup catcher you always have to have those things that someone needs to cover those things so on this team v my own machine I think makes the team because he's a left-handed swinging backup shortstop. Um, Aramis Garcia or Austin Allen is going to be your backup catcher. And then you need a backup center fielder. It could be Kanha. 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 Ha. You're thinking about Kana. it too much. <laughs> yes, Kana. I am thinking about it too much. Kanha. <laughs> is it Thank Kanha? You. Just, just, yeah. Kan- Kana? Kanha. <laughs> <laughs> Can I uh, <laughs> can, can play uh, center? So maybe he's your backup center fielder. Um, and uh, Chad Pinder is making this team. So there's really only one slot left. And for me, that one slot, uh, Buddy Reed is tooled up, but he's going to, I think, go back to the minor leagues. I don't think he's quite ready. Um, and that backup slot could go to Seth Brown. Uh, it could go to Kai Tom. 
or could go to Jed Lowry. Now, I think my 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 guess is that you know so they could do something where Jed Lowry opens the season on the DL and Tom gets two weeks to to show them what they can do. But Jed Lowry is playing second base in a, a Cactus League game today. I think and, I see him in the reflection right now. If you're watching on YouTube, <laughs> look look at the picture on the right side of my you know, man the shot. Robert. Come on, <laughs> hit a homer, hit a homer. No, well, at least he didn't swing at it. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I I bought Lowry in the reserve rounds last night. Um, I've just heard some chatter from uh, from around the baseballing world that uh, he's looking pretty good. So. Um, I think that Lowry could easily uh, take that job. So not that I'm saying you're wrong. I think that those are the two kind of interesting names. Otherwise, everyone on this uh, roster is pretty combed over. Um, I would say that I don't like Dalton Jeffries. He had the worst stuff number in my um, in my <laughs> rankings. The worst. Not good. A 75. Didn't know the number went that low. Kind of like uh, you say Kikuchi's command plus score. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You put Jeffrey's stuff with Kikuchi's command and you've got the worst pitcher in baseball. Uh, I would say that, and this is a, maybe a weird name to use. I would say that Matt Chapman has not done his best season yet. That's that's a fair statement to make in a conversation like this. Yeah. So it's like sleeper. I don't know. Everyone knows who Matt Chapman is. Uh, but he's, he's going lower in drafts and... There is a season in him where he strikes out 22% of the time, walks 10% of the time, and hits 35 homers. He hasn't done all those things in one season. He's gotten pretty close. But in that season, he had a 270 Babbitt. So you give him a 310 Babbitt that year, or a 320. He has had a 338 Babbitt before. Now you're talking about a guy who could hit 280 with 35 homers. I mean, well, I think he, we've you talked want about Corey his defense. Seager a third? Yeah, yeah, that's and, that's pretty nice. Like, because the he's a premium defender, me, the, pl- the playing time's there. Like max the playing, playing time, time is yeah, there. They're, they're, and they and because they platoon at, at, at other spots, there have to be some spots where they just play the heck out of a guy. Remember Marcus Simeon? They played him every down for for a whole season. I think if Chapman's healthy, that's the deal. people are asking: Is he healthy? He made some really nice defensive plays. You know, speaking of his defense, where the hips look like they were in good shape. I mean, they were, he was, it was a really difficult play where, you know, he's turning his hips and then he had to get on the ground, pop up and, and, and throw across the diamond. So, and no, no, no talk of soreness or we're going to take it easy or, you know, like Josh Donaldson's already talking about like, I'm not going to play every day. (laughs) Way to set the bar high. Yeah. Right. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think, uh, Chapman could have another gear. I think he's 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 a, a value where he's being taken. I'm not going to do that many podcasts. <laughs> I can't say that. They would never let me say that. I'm going to take a couple off here and there. Yeah, I'm going to take a couple weeks off. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, whoever, whoever our next person on the bench is for podcasting, they can, just, yeah. they can just do it. You don't want to burnt out, Derek. No, like twenty five percent of the shows on the on the schedule this year. You know the backup. I don't even know who that person is. I don't care who that person is. They can just do it. I'm I'm gonna go fishing, even though I don't know how to fish. Uh, we were kind of laughing at Houston's center field situation. I want to say it was last week. I forget if it was Wednesday or Friday. And since we did that, uh, I spoke to Jake Kaplan. He was one of the guests on Fantasy Baseball in fifteen last week. 
And we asked him for a deep sleeper. And he came up with Chaz McCormick as someone he thought was maybe... Chaz or Taz. Yeah, maybe primed to play a little more than expected. And it, it kind of falls in line with my, I don't think Miles Straw is an everyday player position. I think Miles Straw is more of your speedy fourth outfielder, can play the infield a little bit too, kind of, a, I don't know, more like a draw Dyson type player. Just a guy that is a nice glue guy on the bench, but not someone you want to play every single day. And McCormick, I, I think... There's just no hype on him at all. He's a 21st round draft pick. He's played well at multiple stops, but he's never had eye popping numbers. Uh, kind of fits into the the Blaze Tom profile. A little less swing and miss in his game, though. Too look at the upper levels of the minor leagues: Double AA, A, Triple really A, nice 2019. Yeah. yeah, it really controls the zone well. So if you if you said you got to take one of Straw or McCormick, who do you think is going to actually have the better season? I think I'd be more interested in McCormick in a really deep league. Even though Straw's stolen bases, it's kind of like your Adam Engel buy in labor. 10 to 15 steals from Miles Straw is really valuable in some leagues. I think there's a better chance that Chaz McCormick gets playing time and carves out a larger role. Whereas I think Straw is just a temporary solution until Houston goes some other direction. And maybe it's a moot point if Pedro Leon shows that he's ready in the first couple weeks or first couple months of the 2021 season. I keep wanting them to try Toro out there, but I guess they won't. Um, <laughs> we can dream. They, they both project actually to about 90 WRC plus. However, McCormick has shown power beyond his projections. And so I think it's all about his power. And one nice thing about this is you might be able to, like if he has a, a standout max exit velocity event early on McCormick, I think he immediately becomes interesting, right? Like, if if he hits the ball 115 miles an hour, I would pick him up. Like, I think it would be that simple. Because if you hit the ball 115 miles an hour, you don't have a 120 ISO like McCormick has projected, right? So I'll be watching his bad ball stats early. It's not something that you can say, oh, he hasn't hit the ball 120 yet, so he's he's not good. But if he does do something like that, it's it's immediately meaningful. And if he can compare, if he can put the power together with those plate discipline stats, strikeout rates in the 10 to 15% range, and walk rates around 10 to 15%, then you've got basically a Bregmanish kind of player. That's what he looks like. He looks like Bregman, actually. I mean, if you look at the WRC plus at AAA for both Straw and McCormick, you get league average or below numbers at that level. Mm-hmm. You get an amazing partial oh, season at double a from mccormick a 2019 with the rabbit ball that's that iso yeah yeah so that's where that power probably came from mm, for Chaz mccormick shame on me I, the reason i'm bringing this up though is because i don't see a lot of other candidates that they can go out and get so one of those guys out of straw and mccormick yeah, is gonna you play hear a me lot. i'm talking about toro <laughs> there's series no good you know yeah i don't know how they botched that spot so badly Again, maybe maybe Pedro Leon is the answer, and and this is something that we're going to laugh at. But they're like, like in, playing in him May. at short and stuff. It's they're they're acting strangely about this. I feel. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a a really bizarre thing. And of course, there's a void in the leadoff role. They could just move their good hitters up and bury the new center fielder at the bottom of the order. But as two guys that can get on base, you know, whoever wins that starting field starting center field job, they at least have a shot of possibly hitting higher in the order than you might think. Uh, so. Keep an eye on it, and don't forget about Chaz McCormick, or at least be aware of who he is if you didn't know who he was before this episode. 
If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, you know, let's move on to the NL West team by team. We'll run through this group. Uh, let's start in San Francisco. I don't think he would ever fit as an actual sleeper at this point because he played enough in the shortened season where he's on the radar. But Mauricio Dubon can do a little bit of everything, qualifies at multiple spots. And I think his versatility makes him one of the more interesting possible power speed combo guys that you can get in that pick 250 range and later. Yeah, there's a total chance that he just takes that job in center field. And, you know, he has the eligibilities and the and the flexibility that way. But I think you would rather he settled in somewhere for, for regular playing time rather than, um, you know, just got three or four games a week. And going up against uh, Steven Duggar, uh, I think Mike Yastrzemski is a little bit miscast as a center fielder already at this point. Um, Austin Slater, that's, that's the group, um, Duggar's defense is probably the best of the group. Um, Slater's offense might be the best of the group and Dubon's probably somewhere in between on both. I think of all the players that could end up pushing him, Lamont Wade is probably one of the more interesting guys that is even further down the depth chart, but not a lot of competition there for him. If for whatever reason he gets pushed off center field, who knows how much longer Brandon Crawford continues to get trotted out there as the everyday shortstop. He could be he could be on the move at some point. I mean, Cincinnati's still looking for a shortstop. Maybe there's a, a midseason trade that opens up some playing time up the middle in the infield, too. I hadn't thought about that. Um, yeah, unfortunately, it seems like the Giants have kind of gone for lower ceiling, higher floor bats. Is that fair? I don't know. I mean, Alex Dickerson has a ceiling. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a barrel god and um, and a max EV guy. So you know, if, if he's healthy, he can he can spank that ball. That's 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 a good point. Um, Logan Webb was my name on this one. Um, he's the fifth starter right now. I guess he could lose the job uh, to Aaron Sanchez um, or Tyler Beatty once Tyler Beatty is healthy, but. Um, 
I see in Webb a four-pitch mix that's legit um, and the possibility that he unlocks unlocks another level. And the worst-case scenario, a guy with a 55 to 60% ground ball rate uh, should emerge. So a lot of different ways that Webb can go forward, but he, he like Mills, has some seam-shifted weight going on and some spin-mirroring. So um, he doesn't have the same command as Alec Mills, though. And he needs to find one more tweak to put it together. But he also has uh, more gas than Mills. He sits at 93 or so. If they ended up going with Sanchez and Alex Wood in the final two spots in that rotation, I think with Webb, you'd want to keep him on your watch list because there's a lot of injury risk in this oh, yeah. rotation as a whole. So yeah. it might not take long performance-wise, too, if, if any one of those guys struggles. I, I think this includes Desclafani, too. If any one of Desclafani, Sanchez, or Wood just aren't pitching well, they could, be, they could be in the bullpen. And you've seen it happen before. Drew Pomerantz was signed in exactly the same manner as those three guys, and he transitioned to the bullpen and was lights out for them and got traded and, and provided value in Dubon. So um, I think that the if Logan Webb starts in the minors, does he have any options left? Yeah, he has. he's only been up like two years in one year. Yeah, he has two options left. Um, yeah, I think he could start in the minor leagues, uh, but yeah, uh, I think that Sanchez is the guy I'm looking at to do the, to do the Pomerantz thing. Just just be a lot better out of the pen, I think. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, let's go to one of our favorite spots in the big leagues. Let's go to Denver. Let's talk about the Rockies. <laughs> let's try to find sleepers in Colorado. Uh, I'm not saying this because I chased them late in the NL labor auction, but I think a healthy Brendan Rodgers is still really interesting. He's been derailed really each of the last two seasons by injuries. I thought things were going to click for him when he debuted in 2019. Got off to a great start at AAA that year. Yeah, that was the rabbit ball year. Yeah, it was the PCL. But he had the K-rate under 20%. He was drawing walks, hit nine homers in just 37 games. He's shown speed in the past. He was 12 for 15 as a base dealer in 2018 at AA. And I think he made some comments recently. I think it was to Thomas Harding, uh, who covers the Rockies for MLB.com, that he wants to steal 20 bases this season. So... It's nice to want those things. I, I just like that he's thinking about being aggressive on the base paths again, and he has a little bit of a track record in the minors of being able to contribute. And I think of all the players that you could say are possibly winning a lot more playing time with Nolan Arenado gone, when you move guys around, when you put Ryan McMahon at third base and kind of open up second base, I think you can say at this point that Garrett Hampson's more of a utility guy. Brendan Rodgers should be the clear-cut second baseman most days, and I think the price is so low He's an absolute what-could-go-right sort of late pick. Yes, I agree. Um, and the guy I like is in a similar situation where um, they sat on Sam Hilliard so long that he's post-peak. <laughs> yep. what, what are these idiots doing, dude? He's 27 years old. I mean, it's not not like drastically post-peak, but he had some seasons of minors where you're like, okay, I think he's ready. Let's call him up. Um Anyway, I'm not saying he's not flawed. He obviously has a contact problem, uh, but he barrels the ball really well, has a really nice max EV, and I think uh, you know he's he's still running. He's still got some speed, and I think I think he's got a job. Um, you know, they kind of ran out of other people they could run out there in front of him. Um, you know, Garrett Hampson could take his job, um, but. I don't think Josh Fuentes, who is interesting, 
but I think is a is a true utility guy now. Um, is going to take that job, and that's really the list of people that could take his job. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I mean, I think Rymel Tapia, I think, is a little bit fluky. He had the crazy high bat in the shortened season, could fall apart and also lose some of his playing time in the outfield too. So yeah, lose yeah, you lose a job to one of the guys who's fighting Hilliard, and so therefore make Hilliard more safe. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I, mean, I think it could definitely could play out that way. Rymel's job, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, Hampson, I, I'm interested in Hampson. I think that he could eventually push his way to the front of a job. Maybe they put Rogers down and they give Hampson the first shot at second base. I think that's uh, fairly likely. I think Fuentes makes this team because he's in the mix um, at first and third and second. I think he can, and outfield, I think he can play all those. It's, uh, you know, Hampson can do it, but it's a rare thing to be able to play the infield and outfield. So uh, I think my if I build a bench here, um, and this is a bench with Rodgers and Hilliard starting, my bench would be Fuentes, Hampson, Catcher, and then a really interesting question mark. That could be Greg Bird, if you want to go away from flexibility and have some uh, have a bat there. Or I don't know what what who else could it be. A waiver claim? I mean, like, yeah, really. <laughs> it's just not. It's just not good. I, I'm, I'm worried about Garrett Hampson because we're almost, we're almost 200 games in for him, and I realize he comes off the bench a lot. We're talking about 600 or so plate appearances. He's got a 68 WRC plus. Yeah, and it's rough. I mean, and he only spent a little bit of time at AAA in 2019. He wasn't killing the ball that year, even though he was well above average in 2018. The first time he was at that level. I'm beginning to have doubts about him being anything more than a bench guy. And I think the swing and miss in his game last year was the most surprising thing. We saw a lot of guys strike out more than ever in the shortened season, but Garrett Hampson running a 32.6% K rate doesn't make any sense at all. This is a guy that had at least an average hit tool coming up as a prospect. I, they they somehow are turning out, they're just churning out guys with a 7% walk rate and a 32% strikeout rate. <laughs> just... Just churn him out. It's We've got broken. a good system here, guys. It's very, very broken, as we Nobody said. Nobody walks time and, and time everybody again. strikes out. It's great. <laughs> Tear it down. Uh, yeah. Let's go to Arizona. I think we both really like Corbin Martin. He was my first reserve pick in the NL Labor auction on Saturday night. I think he's kind of their sixth starter for now, but all it takes is an injury. All it takes is you know one of the guys ahead of him faltering for even a few starts, and they can quickly promote him and make him a part of their immediate plans in the rotation. I think he could open the year in the rotation. That's still a possibility for him as well. Uh, a good pitch mix, really good numbers in the minors. Got hurt, of course, soon after getting called up with Houston back in 2019, and then was kind of a key piece in the Zach Grinke trade, right? Big part of the return that Arizona got back. So you look at Gallon. Like Gallon safe, Bumgarner's contract keeps him safely in the rotation. Luke Weaver's in. I think Caleb Smith's pretty safe in there too. But if you're looking at Merrill Kelly versus Corbin Martin versus Alex Young versus Taylor Clark, Corbin Martin's the best of those four pitchers by a decent margin. So I think the talent is going to win out in that job battle. Yeah, and I think it could be one of those sort of Wally Pip situations where uh, somebody gets hurt and then Corbin Martin slides in and and just keeps it. So. Um... You know, six starters this year are going to get a lot of starts. So you got to you got to you got to kind of know all the six starters everywhere. 
And I think that all any six starter that you like makes a good bench pick if you can sort of hold on to them for a little bit. Um, because they'll, they're going to be useful. Uh, I've got Josh Rojas. Um, I've got the, the same note for Ty France, PD, not EV. Uh, you know, in terms of barrel rates, uh, he didn't have a single barrel last year. Uh, had more of a league average barrel rate before. Does not hit the ball super hard uh, in terms of max EV otherwise. But uh, consistently ran 10% plus walk rates and 15% strikeout rates in the minors with decent power and good speed and flexibility defensively. And he might be one of the rare flexible defensive people that can actually play at each position. So um, I think he's definitely making this team. Uh, Building a bench for these guys, I'm going to give you Locastro and then uh, Esdrubal Cabrera and uh, a catcher. And then Rojas is my fourth. Yeah, and Rojas can play everywhere, as you said. So I think that really opens up a lot of paths to playing time. You look at the spots where he could end up playing the most. I mean, I guess is Drupal Cabrera, as it lines up right now, is a starter at third base. If if they're going to play, if they play Cattell Marte in center, no, if they play play Marte a lot in center, then Escobar could play second, Cabrera could play third. But I think... That means the door's open for Rojas. Rojas could play over Cabrera. They could make Cabrera more the utility guy, and Rojas could end up being a starter. Yeah, yeah. There's a there. They are funging one position here somewhere. The Astrubal Cabrera, Josh Rojas, uh, Josh Van Meter, if he's even in the mix anymore. That that position, wherever it is, second or third, uh, is up in the air. I would say Cabrera is fine, but uh, especially if this team starts to falter early on and is not doing that well, then they're, they've got him on a one-year deal. He's 35 years old. Yeah, he's a bench player for a contender. Either they release him or yeah, or trade him or whatever, you know, depending on how well he's doing. So mm-hmm. he's, not, he's not part of their long-term plans. He, he doesn't even project to be a league average player by most projection systems. So um, I think that they would like him to be a bench piece on a team that's going well. I think it's two thumbs up from us for both Corbin Martin and Josh Rojas. Rojas is leading off a lot in spring training games, too, so I could see him ending up pretty high up in that batting order. Uh, I don't think spring training batting orders always mean something, but they're trying to max out his playing time. That, to me, means they want to get a good look at him. Yeah, they're looking at him, yeah. And he has the OBP skills to be a top-of-the-order sort of guy, so there's lots of ways it could go right for Rojas. Uh, let's go to San Diego. If you're watching us on YouTube, I got the Padres cap on today. Actually, kind of hard to find an overlooked player on this team. I, yeah, I don't have one. I don't think I gave you one. Did I give you one? Is there one uh, on the rundown? You, you put winner of Kim Profar oh, Cronenworth right. battle, which I don't know if there's going to be a winner. I just think they're all going to play a decent amount, and they're all kind of decent. But that's so. how good this friggin' team is. Like... They 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 are so good that they reduced three really interesting players into shrug emojis. Like I don't even I, I can't even really uh, tell you who's gonna get the most playing time out of those guys. Kim projects pretty well above league average, and that's with a, a major reduction in power. If he actually can ISO around two hundred like he did in the in in the KBO, then he's a guy who in a full season would hit 260 with 25 homers and 20 steals. Like that's who that's who people want to win this battle. 
and it's worth buying a share of him for super cheap, but it is not worth depending on him, and it's probably not worth spending a lot of money on him in an NL-only situation. Do you remember the auction for him last night? Mm, what was his auction price? I was nowhere close to getting him. Mm-hmm. Let's have a look. It is Kim at 10 bucks. That's not a bad 10? price. But still, you paid 10 bucks. A 10 buck player, you want to play. Like, I got Kirilov for that's a similar situation, right? We don't know everything about them. Young player, track record. But Kirilov is going to play. So, right? Profar sure. went for 10, Kim went for 10, and Cronenworth went for 11. I'm with you on Kirilov. I think he's got a spot to call his own. $31. For one player, they don't have one spot maybe though. One, they've got two, they've got like two, two maybe even two and a half. One and I, a so half. I think they're part of the insurance plan behind Tommy Pham. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, yeah. like if as soon as Pham gets hurt, or when Pham gets hurt, or if Pham gets hurt, they start platooning two DH of those guys. Situation stuff. Right, you go Cronenworth, Profar. If we do get the late DH, which again doesn't seem likely, that unlocks playing time. Well, I just so, also mean just like games against AL. You know, sure, handful of those sprinkled in. Uh, Myers, I think, on my team would play first against lefties. I did that when I was running the Padres for OOTP, and um, Will, Will Myers. Well, that was that was the only playing time Will Myers was getting because oh, so he got really ago, mad at you. <laughs> yeah, he 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 was among the many players to send me a scathing email demanding a trade. <laughs> he sent me the "Do you know who I am?" Like he sent me that kind of email. <laughs> So virtual Will Myers and I are, are not on, on good well, terms. I, but... I say play Will Myers in the outfield on other days. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't doing that. I um, <laughs> I had no faith in him this time last year when things were, were halted, right? He bounced back in a big way. But if he turns back into a pumpkin, that right, right field spot's an area where some of these guys could get into the mix. Like Cronenworth and Profar could go, could go play out there. Whereas Kim, I think, kind of plays all over the infield. I don't know if they're going to use Kim as part of their outfield rotation at all. They said they said he's taking balls in the outfield. There you go. So maybe maybe in left. Yeah, but uh, but Profar and Cronenworth have more experience out there. I'm saying that without knowing that Cron- if Cronenworth has ever played the outfield, <laughs> he's played out there a little bit. Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, he has played never in the major leagues. Never in the majors, though. He no. did in the minors, didn't he? Um, I don't know. It's not showing me right now. So. Huh, maybe. Well, moving on to Luis Campusano. That was the name I put on the rundown. I mean, I think Austin Nola is a great story. I don't have a, a lot of doubts about him, but if it doesn't work for some reason, if he's one of those late breakout guys that just can't sustain what we've seen over the last two seasons, I think Campusano is legitimately really good catching prospect who can hit, and I think he could end up taking over some playing time behind the plate. He's a really tough player to stash away, though, because it might be the second half of the season before there's an actual need there with Nola and Caratini handling the role to begin the season. Yeah, I bet you he's like a September roster expansion guy. But long-term, still excited. Uh, I love this little note. Built like a linebacker, says Fangrass. <laughs> Built like a linebacker. Composite's combination of power and contact skills is rare. And while he's no Molina brother, he's good enough to stay behind the plate. So... Looks like a, you know, I love the strikeout and walk rates. So. Walked almost as much as he struck out at high A. So, yeah, makes a lot of hard contact, legitimate power, and, and good enough behind the plate to be a legitimate catcher. So you may have to wait a little while, but he's an interesting name for deeper leagues. Uh, we'll get to the Dodgers here to close things out. I think there's a couple guys ahead of him on the depth chart who are more interesting, but 
there's a reason why they acquired Sheldon Noisy, and if he finds playing time, I think he's going to provide cheap power. Let's build a bench. <laughs> All right, so I'm not putting Taylor as a starter anywhere, so Taylor's the first guy on the bench, and he can play everywhere, literally. Um, and so you got Taylor, you got a, a catcher, and then you can really do whatever you want. You have two spots. It could be Beatty, Rios, Noisy. I mean, they're very flexible. Taylor gives them so much flexibility. Zach McKinstry could be another deep, deep sleeper. Yeah, he's playing in the spring with the A, with the A's, I think, the A group. That's actually why I have Chris Taylor as my sleeper. He's going to play plenty again. I mean, I think Kike Hernandez leaving actually helps Taylor a little bit because those two were jockeying for some of the same plate appearances for the last few years. Yeah, yeah. And it says here, Taylor said Thursday may play more often at second base. Like, there's an outside chance that he just takes second base. And that would be sad for Gavin Lux because I did, you know, had Gavin Lux question mark on the rundown probably. Um, And I do think that Gavin Lux could probably hit 250 with 18 homers and 10 stolen bases uh, given the time. But I think that Taylor would hit more homers and maybe be a better overall hitter by like a measure like WRC plus, you know, like I think, you know, he hits the ball harder. Uh, you know, he could walk more. So, um, you know, I think he'll regress from his barrel rate last year. He had the best barrel rate of his career last year, but even if he does, uh, I think he might be a better player than Gavin Lunks in the short term. It's possible. I I think the Dodgers, the Dodgers got to be careful with not messing up the end of Gavin Lux's development though. I mean, he was 47% Mm. better than league average every stop from high A up until he got to the big leagues. Yeah. There's really nothing left for him to prove in the minors. And they didn't want to put him in a Lindor deal. They didn't want to trade him. They do believe in him, even though, you know, this, he's gotten 140, 150 plate appearances in the major leagues the last two years. Let him play, man. I'm telling you, I, I think he's, he's this year's Kyle Tucker. He's the guy that was being drafted earlier last year, former top prospect, still on a good team. Could have traded him away, chose not to. The The playing time path is there for Lux. And I know there is downside that includes him playing less than we want, even getting sent back to AAA if he goes into a long slump, right? Like they, they could do that because they've got the depth to pull it off. But I think it's going to click for Gavin Lux this year. Yeah. Did we do it? We did we it. We did it. We made it through. Long pod. Long, long pod because of labor. We want to talk about labor. I mean, it was a fun thing that we did. We spent like 11 hours building teams. Some of y'all skipped weekend. over the labor discussion anyway. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe. But if you want to help us name our segment from earlier again, hit us up. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the email address on Twitter. He's at Enoceras. I'm at Derek Van Riper. If you want to fill out our listener survey, we'd really appreciate that. I will put the link in the show notes. And if you'd like to subscribe to The Athletic, Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels gets you in the door for $3.99 a month to start. That includes everything we do on the site. Our draft kit is up, lots of updated rankings to comb through there, and a lot of great stories still to come. And then, of course, great coverage of all sports around the globe, even beyond our great fantasy coverage. So that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening and watching. Thank you.